This is Womb, the podcast that celebrates the power of rebirth. I'm your host, Nova Cobbin, and on this show, we'll hear from amazing women who dared to rediscover who they are. Women who reignited long-lost passions, took bold leaps of faith, and reimagined their futures in ways they never thought possible. Each week, we'll be inspired by the stories of strength, courage, and resilience. Stories that remind us it's never too late to start anew. There are always second chances, new beginnings, and opportunities for rebirth. So join us as we explore the journeys of phenomenal women who reinvented themselves and created the lives they've always dreamed of. Welcome to Womb Rebirth. Let's go. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Womb Rebirth podcast. I'm Nova Coven, and today I am with Sandy Balls. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you, Nova. It's wonderful being here. Um, I'm a self-discovery and success coach. Um, I work with people in a, with hypnotherapy and coaching. And what I do is it's people that are struggling with life a little bit, people that are feeling a bit lost. And I do a lot of self-discovery work with my clients. And we do a lot of inner child healing through hypnotherapy and a lot of coaching as well, just so clients can start to build themselves up again, bring the confidence back, uh, really connect back to who they are oh beautiful and I in a child work I love I think it's so powerful so so powerful and you have like a whole raft of sort of tools in your toolbox don't you you're qualified in lots of different things and I think that having that blend of things is lovely when you're working with people because you can just pull on all sorts of things that just really is quite bespoke to the person that you're with it really is. And that's what makes a real difference with clients as well, because everyone's different and everyone responds to different methods, different therapies, different modalities. And it's really nice to be able to just pull out what's going to work for them at that moment as well. So it really yeah. does. Yeah. Absolutely. Otherwise, I think you can end up just sort of jumping from therapy to therapy, trying to find the fit for what you're looking for. Um, and when you meet somebody who can kind of work with you on all those different things, then it's it's a game changer. It is because we're all so very different, you know, and we all connect and react and, you know, heal from different different modalities. You know, we all work in different ways. We all um, memorise in different ways. We all learn in different ways. So it's really important to have a wide range to help your clients with as well. And also be able to connect with them and understand what it is that they need. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we were talking about that in a child work. And one of the things that I wanted to actually start talking to you about was something in your childhood, because you mentioned to me about an early memory that you have. And I thought it was just gorgeous. It's just, you know, really kind of tells us in one short story uh, quite a lot about you and how you see the world. So I was wondering if you could share that story with our listeners. Yes, absolutely. I, gosh, I was really, really young at the time, three, four years old. And um, it was in the days when the photographer used to come to the house to take the family photographs. And my mum had bought us all these little matching Indian outfits. Well, it was a T-shirt with a little Indian on the front and a little skirt. And then and I had gone missing. <laughs> I was missing for hours. They couldn't find me with my new outfit on. Um, and they actually found me down in the local river and I had stripped myself off and I was washing my clothes in the river. But I was doing that because I'd watched a programme on the television 
with my mom and the family, you know, the day before. And it was about a tribe that used to go to the river to do their washing. So this was my curiosity. I'd seen this on the television. So off I went out the front gate down to the river. Thankfully, I was found. I was perfectly fine. But that's that was my curiosity. You know, I was there naked washing my clothes in the river, a brand new outfit that hadn't even been, had the photograph taken off it yet either. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That went down well. <laughs> yes, I can just imagine the sort of like the scene and everyone being like, what on earth is happening? But in your mind, of course, I mean, I love that story and I, and I love it as well because it very much kind of reminds me of my daughter. You know, she's full of curiosity, so independent. She'll just take herself and, and do the things that she needs to do. You know, she doesn't want to ask. She's just like, I'm just going to go and do this. Um. And I love that. And I think it is a really beautiful illustration of how your curiosity started at a really young age. And not that you were actually just thinking about these things. You actually wanted to go and try them out for yourself. Yeah, I just wanted to get off and do it. You know, I was like, yeah. it's fabulous. Pick yeah. Walk the fastest bit of river and scrub away. <laughs> See what happened. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. Okay, so I know that... Um, Obviously, as you grew up, there was a sort of a sense for you of not really feeling like people understood you. Massively, you know, I mean, from as far as I can remember, I've, I've always felt a little bit different, a little bit out there um, and no bad reflection on my family. My family are great, but I never felt like I belonged in a sense. Um, and even going through school, I mean, I, I didn't get on well at school at all. Um, I was really, um, I ended up being a bit of a joker at school. You know, the funny one, Sandy will do this, Sandy will do that. Didn't want to be in the classroom. You know, I was always daydreaming. I mean, every report card I had was about daydreaming, not doing as I was told. Um, and it was just, I just didn't want to be stuck there the way that people were being taught. It didn't relate with me. I never did well with authority either, you know. So that was something that always used to almost—it's like bang against your how your beliefs, how you feel. I didn't understand that at the time, um, and it did, and it led to a lot of self-destructive behaviour too. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things as you grow up you do that probably shouldn't be doing um, and a lot of it's just trying to find yourself and also feeling a bit lost and not knowing what to do with yourself because mm. you don't understand it and never feeling love really and that again isn't a reflection on anyone it was it was just how I was you know because we are all different and I find that the schooling system treats everyone the same and we are so different. And again, it's the learning as well. Some of us don't learn the same as others. You know, we need different methods of teaching. Um, so, yeah, I really struggled with school. I mean, I left school with no qualifications, nothing at all, not a thing. Um, I was good at athletics, though, which is the one thing that got me through school was that I was really fast at running. <laughs> but actually, that leads on to me later on in life I used to run away from everything I was always packing my bags and just taking off if things weren't going well it's uh... that's so interesting how that becomes kind of a metaphor for how we handle stuff I yeah. love that idea and I think it's really true that our early experiences do set us up for how we translate that into all kinds of situations and no, you know, not consciously, but subconsciously, I think a lot of things do become metaphors for how we handle things later on. Yeah. And that idea of kind of 
running away, like running is something that you're good at. So we translate that into, okay, how do I, you know, I can't deal with schools, but I'm good at running and I can't deal with this problem, but I'm good at running. So let's run away from the problem. And it kind of translates in all these sort of weird and wonderful ways that are just reflections and echoes of things that have actually happened and worked at the time that it sort of was a good fit for managing school, but maybe wasn't such a good fit for managing things later on. Yeah, I mean, it led me to, I mean, I had so many jobs in my life. Um, and even although I didn't get any qualifications at school, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I used to just put things on my CV. I never applied for anything that I thought was beyond my brain capacity, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, I mean, I've done everything from, I was a picture framer, which I love because I was always good at art, to running my own restaurant. And it was called, it was called Sandy's Kitchen. <laughs> oh, amazing. And then I, I mean, I even self-exiled myself to the Arctic Circle with a broken heart once. And I spent a few months in the Arctic. I yes, thought, I, if I could freeze myself, I might feel better about life again. You know, again, it's the running they're trying to understand. So, yeah. Wow. Gosh, that's I want to ask you about this. So let's let's talk about that, because yeah. that fascinates me. The fact that you've just said maybe if I could freeze myself for me again, that's another kind of metaphor of like if I can just stop and everything can just stop for a minute and life can freeze and pause and I can, my thoughts can freeze and pause, then maybe I have a chance of kind of like doing things differently. So tell me why the Arctic Circle and and what did it do for you when you were there? How was that? Yeah, I mean, it was funny because I actually, initially um, I was working for a construction company in Scotland and I was in a really bad relationship again. That was, I always went from bad relationship to bad relationship, self-destructive behavior, attracting all the wrong people. Um, and it was it was really bad. So I applied for a job on Sark in the Channel Islands um, from working in construction to doing some hotel work, which I got. So I ended up in Sark in the Channel Islands and I was there for nine months. Um, by the end of it, I used to call it Sarkatraz because it was such a small <laughs> <laughs> It's like... Um, and then I just saw this position open in the Arctic, and it's about 350 miles um, inside the Arctic Circle at the northern part of Norway, managing a lodge. And I was wow. still trying to find myself. And I thought, I'll go to the cold. I can freeze my heart. I can freeze myself. I can just be in the cold for a few months and see if that'll make me feel better. So I ended up flying over there, and that was me for a few months. So I was there in the um, December pitch black 24 hours a day and I was there right through till the May and the sun was in the sky 24 hours a day so I really got to see the whole seasons and I mean it was such a wonderful experience but being really cold being in nature northern lights every night put your snowsuit on lie in the back lying your back and just watch the sky and living with the Sami people for a couple of days as well while I was there with deer and it was just fascinating and it was quite um, isolating but very beautiful at the same time you know it really was and then from there um, I met this wonderful group of people who came to do some ski touring and they offered me a job back in London and it was working in the HR department and compliance department so I ended up having this office above platform one in Victoria train station so I went from the Arctic Circle to London which was a massive shock to the system as you can Uh imagine 
especially someone from a little town in Scotland, you know, who wasn't used to the big city life. Um, and then I started watching every, well, everyone at the trains. It was the Belmont used to leave there and all the pompompery, and I loved it. And then one day I went out for my lunch and I saw someone climb the telegraph pole. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't that be amazing? I bet he's got a great view. So then I applied to become a telecoms engineer. And I, within a couple of weeks, I was climbing telegraph poles, training to be a telecoms engineer. This was all stuff I put on my CV, you know, and I did really well. I ended up being an operations manager for Scotland for um, OpenReach through that job. And that was the last uh, job I had. I always say that that was my last job before the real change happened, you know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I just... I mean, I find this fascinating because you're so, um, you know, you really follow your heart on stuff and and your metaphors are so literal, as in, you know, freeze my heart, I'll go to the Arctic, need a better view on life or a wider view on life, I'll climb telegraph poles. I, I, I mean, I, ju- I love that so much. And I don't think I've kind of spoken to anybody who's had that so kind of literally or followed their, I think that actually what is true is that people are called to those things, but they ignore them most of the time because they're like, oh, that's a bit, you know, left of field of what I'm, the trajectory that I'm on. And I can't allow myself to do that. Whereas you're like, okay, fine, let's just do that then. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a funny thing because I used to think, well, I always like at school called stupid, you know, you'll never amount to anything. And I used to think that me making all these changes was adding to that. But actually now I see it as being brave, you know, mm-hmm. I have been brave being able to do this because there's not a lot of people would go out and just do that. And that's why I love working with clients that that want to make these changes in their lives. You know, and it's about it's about getting past that fear, harnessing it, you know, and using it as a bit of fuel to do the stuff that, that your heart desires which is so, you know, it's so important. And and we're, this is it, we're here, you know, we've got to make the most of this, we really have. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think, so you mentioned that um, when you kind of went into your corporate job, that that was a point at which you also sort of started to recognise uh, the sort of institutionalisation yeah. that happens for people in corporate. So tell me a little bit about what you're observing and how that kind of sat with you as a person. Yeah, I mean, I had a big team of people when I moved into the management side of it. As an engineer, it was great because I was just out there. I had my van, my ladders, my toolbox, you know, climbing and going under things and all sorts. Um, but I progressed really quickly into management and I actually moved back to Scotland at that point. I might add, I ended up down in Brighton on, this, on the seafront from London to Brighton. But then I moved back up to Scotland in Edinburgh um, and I was in a big, it was one of the big head offices there. And what I observed, and it was seeing people institutionalised, people my age, talking about their pensions on a daily basis, you know, and that's why they were there. And and it was, it was a real obsession with them was the pension, what I'm going to do when I retire. And I'm thinking, what about now? You know, Mm -hmm. and also it was like the quarterly reviews we had to do. We'd have a bell curve. And we had to have people that were DNs, like development needed. We had to have a set amount of people that were just doing okay. And then some people that were doing really well. 
and it didn't matter where people sat. We had to have a certain amount of DNs when some of these people probably shouldn't have been, but that's the way the company works. You have to meet this bell curve. And it just went against everything that I'm about, you know, my values, my principles. I was like, this isn't right. And also even having to go to work at a certain time of the day, have your lunch at a certain time. My body doesn't want lunch just yet, you know? I want to eat when I want to eat. And it's uh, and the restrictions and, and society. But also people saw my job as a great job, a job for life. And is that 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 sentence, a job for life, used to just give me the shivers. I'm not doing this for life, you know? And it really hit home for me. But that's when I started to do a little bit extra study outside, you know, to find out more about myself, about psychology, about people. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really feel the same way as you do, but that's how I'm built. You know, I'm not built to really work for a, a big company. You know, I... Unemployable. I <laughs> yeah, I'm completely unemployable. Um, and I make a great employee for like a really short amount of time because I'll kind of go in, make it my own, do work yeah. really hard. Yeah. And then I'll be like, uh, you know, I'll, there'll be something that I come up against. And I'm like, yeah, but I, you know, I'm a, a human being first and foremost. You know, I don't want to I don't want to sacrifice this in order to do that. Um, and so for me, very much, uh, I, I agree with that whole idea. And it's bizarre to me, the idea of having so much structure and so much inflexible structure, mm-hmm. which I think has changed a lot, actually, um, obviously, since we've had all of the lockdowns yeah. and, and we've discovered that actually those kind of things can work and they can work pretty well and we can trust people and we can be flexible and blah, blah, blah. So that has been that has been good I think for people to see that it can work in a different way definitely Um, but I you know I I think you're right this whole obsession with the future and I think the future is important to think about but we have our entire structures built on that you know when you're at school start thinking about your exams what are you going to do when you get a job you know and it's you're taught all the way along the line this is how your life is going to look and for a lot of people it's like I don't want my life to look like that no, definitely. I mean, some people love it and it, and it does fit some mm-hmm. people. Some people won't, won't ever step through that, you know, and, and I think it's it's great for that. But there's a lot of people that it doesn't work for. And that's what's a lot wrong with the school systems, I find as well. Kids aren't allowed to express themselves. They're not mm-hmm. allowed to be this beautiful being that they were born to be, you know, and it really does. It, it, it's like putting handcuffs on them, chains on them. You know, that's what I felt like. I felt really heavy at school if that makes sense you know yeah I found I found just to talk about the school system for a second so I used to be a teacher and obviously both my children are now in the school system my my son's just finished but primary level I think is great a lot of the primary levels are really kind of embracing this idea of the creative curriculum children learn what they're curious about and their is child-led learning but then you get to sort of like secondary level and that changes completely. It's just scrubbed out. You go to this lesson and then this lesson and then this lesson and we're prepping you for exams. And children, I think, it's like a slap in the face. Like what? You know, everything changes at that point. You're running free one minute and then you've got you're in a cage the next. And that's exactly what it's like, you know? Yeah. So tell me about, because I know that obviously there was a a point in your life. So your identity kind of uh, has always been a little bit like you are trying to understand who you are and trying to figure out who you are within a system that's not working for you. 
Um, but I know that one person that you were really close to and who really did understand you was your father. Yes, my dad. We almost had a sort of silent relationship, just an understanding. I could feel it. He could feel it. And he always said to my family, call me Flossie. So, and he always used to say to me, Flossie, never change. Never change. Keep, oh. keep doing what you do. Keep being you. But actually, 10 years ago on August past, my dad dropped dead just suddenly. And I was down in Brighton um, and I got a phone call to say your dad's died, you know, and it was just, I can't begin to explain. It's like everything, the whole year inside your body. I mean, people that have close death understand this. It just everything fell out of me. And I had to fly up to Scotland um, and I was only there for two weeks and fly back down. Um, and it was, it was a horrible time. I mean, I think that first year, it was almost like being in the fourth dimension. You're looking down on life, but you're not part of life. And I also had this physical sickness. Every time my dad popped into my head, I used to physically be sick, you know, and it was this, it was really, like, it was horrible. And it was probably for about a year and a half, I had this, I'm feeling a bit choky just speaking about it, you know, just bringing back the memories. But it was through that I started to think about this, like my dad always saying that never changed. And I thought, I need to understand who I am. I really do. It was, uh, and that's when I started to really study. And then I studied um, like hypnotherapy. It was a long course as well. We used to study for three weeks. Then we'd go and spend a week together up in the north of Scotland. Like there was about six of us on this course. So I did it over a few months. So I got my advanced diploma in hypnotherapy. Um, and clinical hypnotherapy and also NLP master, EFT, CBT, lots of different modalities, reading, reading the whole time. I still love reading, you know, see all my books behind me, but it's just learning about myself. And that's when I started to really understand like who I am as a person and, and understand heart, you know, rather than mind. And it's about this, it's about what's inside of us and also understand the relationship I had with other people understand it from their side and not just my side you know stop victim blaming you know it's uh doesn't get you anywhere and and accepting a lot of stuff as well real sense of acceptance not so much forgiveness I think it's acceptance is a, is, is a real you know the real thing to to harness um and it's just and then that, that's when I actually left PT and started my own business you know that that was that was it I was like I'm getting out of here I did help a lot of people within my teams as well at work through learning about my about psychologies about myself and therapies and inner child healing you know so I did uh, I did help a lot of people there's a few people actually left and went on and did other stuff that I worked with at the VT which is really nice to hear you know a few yeah. so yeah so that that was a real real turning point for me losing my dad it was like it was an end but it was also a beginning as well it really was mm -hmm. a big beginning and I think that that idea of him saying to you never change and you recognizing well I don't want to change but I do want to understand a little yes. bit more about who I am and, and what it means to be me and then to actually realize the important transition that that was for you and how powerful that was for you and then want to offer that to other people definitely you kind of keep that you keep that going that transformation and that empowering yeah. sort of Thing going yeah and I noticed that uh, uh, the sign behind you I love it when people have signs in their house because I'm always like oh this is interesting let's let's look at that love changes everything and clearly it did for you it does it love I did loving ourselves 
you know that understanding and that deep love for who we are and that 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 oozes out of you and and, you, and it, it goes into other people you know it's like little tendrils of, of love everywhere yeah, it's making my, my hair stand on end just thinking about thinking about my dad you know it's uh, and it is and it's 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 how we should all be and I just want to I want everyone to tap into that within themselves as well we don't need to find it externally. I spent years trying to find stuff externally. And I had a lot of fun, a lot of dangerous stuff. You know, I did a lot of things that would make your hair curl. You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, and it's just, it, it's all in here. It's all within us, always. Yeah, I think you're so right. And I think that that does take a long time for people sometimes. A lifetime, to, you know? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. definitely. And it, and it's ongoing work as well, I think, isn't always. it? You know. As soon as something kind of comes along that sort of challenges us or that um, just kind of is at odds with how we are viewing ourselves and we need to sort of review that all over again, yeah. we can put ourselves through a really hard time just for being human. It's, yeah, it's not easy being human <laughs> sometimes, but it can be made easier. And I think it's, for me, I always see that the scary moments and the moments that, that aren't going right, sit with it as well. Don't pass through it too quickly because you learn so much from being in that moment. And I think people do. They try and chop and change or move past it or put it to the side, but actually sit with it, really feel into it. And and you, you grow so much from, from those moments, you know? And I think that's what makes us human too. The mistakes, the lessons, the learnings. You know, it's uh, and, it, and it's wonderful when you do pass through these times and you come back with another lesson, another bit of growth. You learn something else about yourself, which is wonderful. I I think that idea of sitting with stuff is so challenging for us yeah. because yeah. our natural instinct, which I think is, you know, quite ancient, really, is this idea of if something is scary, you need to run. And so it's completely counterintuitive to actually stay where you feel the danger is. And of course, the danger is actually just yourself and your on your own mind and your own thoughts. But we have to really try very hard to counter that instinct to to get away from fear or get away from anything that feels uncomfortable. But I think that for me, it's the, been the fastest way to actually transform anything that's going on definitely it's definitely the fastest way it's it's very hard the, the more you the more you do it though you the more you understand that the easier it becomes in a sense you know it really does and, and it and it does excel your growth as a person you know your knowledge lots of stuff it can help you in business it can help you in life it helps you with relationships if you if you do actually push through your fears a little bit sit with them understand them just do small things as well you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be the big stuff. You don't have to jump up telegraph poles after a couple of weeks to see someone up one, you know, yeah. just do the little things. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. But do the big things too if you want to. I mean, that's great as well. <laughs> Go to the Arctic Circle and uh, have, uh, I have to ask you, what what was it like having darkness around you for that long? It was just strange. He did. I mean, it was it was just dark. He just he did he did want to sleep a little bit more. Um, I mean, I remember it was the eleventh of February. It was the first day that we got to see a little peak of sunlight. They have these sun parties because they do have the right. 
children up in the Arctic and stuff. They go to schools and they all dress up as sunshines and they make oh. all these beautiful big sunshines. So you see the sun and I think it was up for about a minute and a half that first day. And then on the 12th of February, it was another minute and a half. So you just peaks and peaks and peaks until eventually it's circling around you. But when the sun's there the whole time, you don't really want to sleep. And also because of the polar light, everything looks huge, which I couldn't get my head around. Everything's bigger. Because everything's... Wow. It's like we had um, a glacier opposite where we were. The Storhorgan was the mountain behind us. I can't remember the glacier's name across the fjord. But it looked like you could just swim across and you'd be there like a mile away. But it was about 13 miles across and it just looked really close. But it's because of the polar oh light. It was really incredible. Yeah. yeah. Just off a bit that's... of a there. <laughs> but, no, yeah. that's really interesting. I never knew that that was, that was sort of a thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. I can't... Did it... How does it did it affect your sort of mental health when you were either constantly surrounded by light or constantly surrounded by dark? I think I was so I was going through so much at the time anyway. I, I don't even think that it, it affected me at all. You know, I, I was so busy trying to work out the stuff that I was going through, broken hearted, and I enjoyed it. You know, we used to go dog sledding at night time. Uh, which was fantastic. So um, we don't go dog sledding, and then you'd see the northern lights, and it was just incredible. So I was just out there enjoying it, ski touring and stuff like that as well. When the light came in a little bit, couldn't do it during darkness. But yeah, just just enjoyed it. I didn't didn't let didn't affect me. I think if I lived there full time, it probably would. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think to go there just that for that few months and see that whole transition as well. It, it was a real growth as well. I mean, it was beautiful to see everything bursting back through the ice again. It was wonderful to see and the melt as well. So, yeah. 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 It must have been so visceral to sort of like be at that place in the world where all of those things are so heightened. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And we used to have, um, I lived down in this little fisherman's cottage near the lodge and I used to have this moose that came at the kitchen window every morning. And oh. Bruce. So Bruce and I used to have a conversation in the morning. Wow. <laughs> wow. Did it heal your broken heart? Would you recommend it? Oh, you know, it was a wonderful experience. It didn't heal my broken heart. I wouldn't say that. But it was a brilliant experience. And it was because of that that then I stepped to be in London and Victoria. That ended up telegraph poles. That So everything's everything's there you know that that pathway was put in front of me and I just stepped onto it every time yeah. and it was part of that so I, I, it was part of the healing I guess yeah mm -hmm. yeah where you needed to be at that, to be at that point exactly and I took it took that step yeah wow. and so what uh, one of the ways in which I like to sort of round this off is to ask people that if they could go back and speak to their younger self as who they are now. And you could just whisper in that little girl's ear, what would you like to tell her? Gosh, um, don't feel frightened, you know? Uh, you're, you're, you're exactly who you need to be. You're, you're exactly who you are, you know? And just be more of you. Sandy, thank you so much for talking to us today. I could talk to you so much so long I think about all of the amazing experiences that you've had and the way that you see the world because I I love the way that you see the world and I think it's you know it's just very educational for us to be able to like get into a space where we're looking having a glimpse into each other's minds 
and seeing how we all are different and the same at the same time. And I think that that's very beneficial to just be able to step into someone else's world for a little while and see it through their eyes. Um, and, and I love all of the, the stories and I, and I really love talking to you today. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. You are very welcome. And for those of you listening, thank you very much for being here today. You can find out more about Sandy and how to get hold of her by looking at the blurb underneath the things that I'm sharing. And we will see you on next week's podcast. Thank you very much. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not download the Womb app? It's going to help you to understand what a rebirth is and how to have all for yourself. Join in the chat rooms, download the materials and programs and get monthly coaching and monthly networking all for the price of $6.99 a month. Download now in the App Store or Google Play Store.